Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And we're going to be talking world languages today and a conversation that I'm really excited for us to have regarding the Nebraska seal of biliteracy and some of the amazing work that's going on in our state with world languages and some great opportunities for our learners. And so excited to welcome Crystal Liu, the world language specialist from the Nebraska Department of Education and Nick Ziegler, ESU5 world language coordinator and technology integrationist to this conversation today. We're going to learn a lot from Nick and from Crystal. Uh, and so to start things off, I want to say thank you for joining us and give you a little space to give us your background education. So, uh, Crystal, would you mind starting? Um, I'm Crystal Liu. I came from China. I have applied linguistic background, and also I got my PhD in educational studies last year. I joined NDE this July, and I am mainly focusing on the work of literacy. Terrific. And Nick, if you could give us your background. My name is Nick Ziegler. I work at ESU5 in Beatrice, Nebraska. I work with our distance learning program where we meet the needs of 16 different school districts this year across the state. We offer Spanish 1, Spanish 2, and then also in partnership with Nebraska Wesleyan University, we offer a dual credit uh, class for our Spanish 3-4 students. Terrific. And thank you both. Just bringing a wealth of knowledge and experiences to today's conversation. And so I think to begin with, it's important to start with the question of what is the Nebraska seal of biliteracy and what does that really mean? So yeah, maybe Crystal, if you could start us off with a better understanding of what it is we're hoping that our learners can acquire with this recognition. Yeah, thank you. The seal of biliteracy is an award given by the state of Nebraska in recognition of high school students who have studied and attained proficiency in two or more languages by high school graduation. And when we talk proficiency there across these two languages, what does it look like to earn proficiency? Like, what does proficiency mean? How does that evaluate it, I guess, to make sure that learners have met these criteria across multiple languages? Um, proficiency is the ability to use language in a real-world situation. So it's not I can present my story in a classroom. It's I can book a room in a hotel. I can host a conversation at a meeting. It's real-world situation language skills. Yeah, would it be wrong to say an operational language acquisition where you're able to, yeah, just fluidly go about your day-to-day to be able to, to find some practical application of those? Uh, I'll ask Nick, too. Uh, I know that there's some history here with proficiency-based standards in Nebraska, and so where does this work kind of align with what is already in place in terms of the world language standards? Excellent. Our, our world language standards in the state of Nebraska identify five different core ideas, but one of them is communication. And that communication is divided into different modes of communication. When we think about proficiency, we're thinking about your ability to understand as well as present information and communicate back and forth. And those are three different modes of communication. In the United States, we identify levels of proficiency. There are three large constructs of novice, intermediate, and advanced, and some some beyond that, there are some others as well. 
But our goals inside of our world language classroom traditionally were around maybe some of those grammar concepts, not so much proficiency as we heard Crystal describe, but rather performance on a set, maybe construct or idea. Now we're really trying to focus on helping students become proficient, meaning that they're able to interact more spontaneously in that language within different contexts. Well, that sounds pretty helpful because I took French for a number of years when I was in high school, and I certainly figured out how to conjugate verbs and have since forgotten it. But uh, I, at the time, did not acquire much in the way of being able to actually speak the language. And so I, I love that shift. And Andrew, I think really that's a good illustration. I think uh, folks our generation and older all have that uh, similar experience in high school world languages where, sure, we took the classes, we learned how to conjugate the verbs and the like, but then what's the practical application of that? I mean, you, you leave and you don't necessarily have the ability to interact. And Crystal, I'll let you have the last word on that, but that's the real goal of our uh, world language standards is to promote proficiency in our high school classrooms. Yeah, our new world language standards created in 2019 actually promote proficiency instructions. So that means teachers are now focusing on developing students' proficiency in the second language instead of providing a lot of grammar based instruction and grammar-based practice. So we're trying to use more authentic materials and bring authentic context. And also we're trying to connect students with target language speakers so that they can have the real life experience when they're learning the language. So Kristen, what you shared there, it, it made me wonder, uh, and I'm sure other educators have similar questions, and what does that look like in terms of instructional best practices, right? Obviously, if we're going to deviate from what maybe was our generation's experience, this is going to look very different in terms of how our world language teachers today facilitate lessons. And so, Nick, I know with the program that you're running out of ESU5, uh, you're very steeped in this. So could you give us just some broad examples of what we might expect if we were to walk into a world language classroom today? Excellent. Here at ESU5, we organize our units around proficiency-based objectives. So what does that mean? At the beginning of the unit, we ask students to self-assess their ability. How confident are you that you're able to communicate in a different context? So for example, I can introduce myself in the language. I can use Spanish to describe myself. And then now throughout the unit, we equip students with the vocabulary as well as the target grammar structures, the target structures, but we don't focus on a full conjugation list. It's not a memorizing a verb and then thinking about how to say it in I speak, you speak, she speaks, we speak, they speak. <laughs> Rather, we're actually going to practice that. We start with that interpretive mode where it's, it's a little bit more teacher-led instruction, but we know in world language best practices that students need the input. Students need comprehensible input is what we call it from our instructors in order to grasp and so understand here's the vocabulary and here's how to use it in the language. Here's how to use it in an appropriate sentence in an appropriate context. We move on to that interpersonal mode of communication where we get kids now communicating together within some contrived, controlled contexts, 
But the real goal is that we're practicing these ideas orally in a way that allows students to connect the dots better in their brain. And so there's been a lot of research around world language education and best practices. And we are truly moving away from memorization of random facts in the world language content area toward this idea of proficiency, your ability to actually use it in different contexts. I love that. Thank you for sharing a little bit about what that might be like for the learner and their experience in the classroom. And okay, so I think it's important at this point too, to kind of parcel out two different narratives here for students who maybe would qualify for this award for di- somewhat different reasons. Uh, and so the, the first, I think maybe being where uh, this conversation has been centered as most of our, our dialogue today so far has been about world language courses and what we, you might presume as being our, our English speakers taking those courses and demonstrating a proficiency with that. So for that demographic, Crystal, can you help me with understanding what additional criteria, like, is there a test? Is there a fee? Is there like, what is the process essentially for us to recognize our native English speakers as having this proficiency? Um, In world language education, we call students with English as their native language, L1 English speakers. And, And for those students who whose home language is not English. We call them ELL learners. Okay, and so for the L1 speakers, uh, what is their process for applying for this uh, seal of biliteracy? Mm, Actually, they have uh, similar steps to apply. Uh, For L1 English speakers, they have English as their native language. So what they do is to demonstrate their English proficiency by submitting a test result showing their proficiency or 30 hours credit from their English language art class. So next step for them is to demonstrate their proficiency in in another language. That means they need to demonstrate test result from Apple, AP, or some other accepted examinations. And for those ELL learners, whose native language is not English. They need to demonstrate their native language proficiency, 30 hours of credit. That means they need to show 30 hours of credit from their heritage language class, or they need to take their test, which I have mentioned, like AB test or Apple test or another test that has been approved. The next step is to show their proficiency in English. So they need to take their English test or for example, AP test or stamp test or Apple test. Terrific. So really it's those two assessments. And so where would a school, let's say I'm an educator looking to support my students in being able to take these assessments, uh, where would I go uh, to find these? Uh, You mentioned like Apple, for example. So I guess maybe those resources and where would I send this information for the SEAL? Um, there's an application link open on NDE website. It's open all year round. Students who have those materials ready can apply anytime, but we are going to process the seal of the literacy, the whole process, verification, and awards twice every year. Okay, and when are those deadlines? The deadline in spring is April 15th. In fall is August 15th, which is coming pretty soon. 
very soon, which is why we want to get this message out for anyone that might be able to last minute uh, get that added if those tests have already been taken or uh, with plenty of notice in advance, let people know that by the spring, this is certainly something they could check into for their learners. And so with that being said, I mean, because it is going to be a little bit of an effort as we're here and here as far as a couple other tests that they might need to take. The real question is, why would we do this? Like, what is the benefit um, from the student standpoint to receive this award? And so, Nick or Crystal, just an idea or two about really that why behind this work. Because seal of literacy can be used to demonstrate students' bilingual proficiency and serve as an evidence skill that are attractive to their future employers. And you know, a lot of universities in other states actually acknowledge CF literacy. That means they will give credits for lower level language class. And so students with CF literacy can skip lower level class and go directly into higher level class. This saves time and money for a lot of students. I would add, and so I completely agree, students are going to graduate and now move on either into the workforce or maybe into a two-year or a four-year university. There are benefits in all spots. For those students entering the workforce, it's something they can show that employer that says, I am proficient in English as well as maybe Spanish. And we know in our state of Nebraska, that means something. I mean, I think about professions that require interaction with, for example, migrant families, maybe Spanish-speaking migrant families. The seal of biliteracy would allow that student to show the employer that they didn't just take four years of high school and not learn anything, but rather they took Spanish in high school and they are able to communicate that proficiency idea. And I, I would also add, though, that on a personal level, we've had some of our students here in our distance learning program go through this process and attain the seal of biliteracy. And on a personal level, for those kiddos, uh, they really appreciate that official acknowledgement from our Department of Education that says they did well. They can speak this language and that language is a really big deal for those kiddos. It kind of almost like a bit of a capstone. The experience is what I'm hearing there. And, uh, uh, and I, I'm with you in terms of it would be terrific for those learners then to not have to go on to some sort of higher ed post-secondary experience where they're paying for courses that they clearly have the skills necessary to opt out of and take more appropriate coursework. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's kind of funny. It reminds me a little bit of I had two good friends in college who were from the UK. When they came to the United States for university, they had to take a test to prove that they were able to speak English. <laughs> and they were so frustrated with me after they took that. They were like, we invented the language. We had it before you did. And so I don't really know why it is that we, coming from the UK, have to take your English proficiency test. Uh, but it is sort of a hoop that sometimes gets put up there for people to jump through. And it can be a, a bit silly, I think, in some regards, uh, when someone already has those skills. And so what a terrific way for uh, our learners to not have to deal with that. That and to really just focus in on their coursework. So 
So I'm curious to know, where does this work stand in our state to date? Before we got onto the call today, uh, we did talk a little bit. There is about a four or five year history uh, with this work that goes back to some efforts from NILA and, and NDE's involvement as recently as in the last two or three years here. But uh, right now, Crystal, how many students in the past uh, have earned the Nebraska seal by literacy? Starting from 2019, there are only 150 students have earned the Nebraska Steel at the literacy in two years, only 150 students. And so there's obviously the potential for that number to grow exponentially uh, when you think about how much work is being done and that the standards align, right? That, that there are no doubt learners out there who qualify for this, uh, right? Yes. Uh, for example, we have a lot of dual language programs that means the students actually are proficient in both languages. For example, we have Omaha South High School. It has a dual language program. So each year, more than 100 students graduated. And all of the students are proficient in both English and Spanish. They're qualified because they have more than 30 credit hours in heritage Spanish class and also in English language art class. But they do not have the news. Only one student this year graduated with the seal of the literacy from South High. Oh. If they know the word. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that a hundred students at one of our Nebraska high schools had each the opportunity year. each year. So it would have been two two hundred more to add to the one fifty from the past two years. Had the more students within just one of our high schools taken advantage of that opportunity. And so you start to think about what that could mean compounded across the entire state. There's certainly a lot of potential there for more people uh, to earn this award and to carry those recognitions with them into their post-secondary experiences. So that's tremendous. And, you know, as we kind of get to the end of our pod here, our first maybe call to action for educators is to say, now that you know about it, (laughs) make sure that those students who would otherwise qualify or that uh, could with maybe just a little support and help with getting the opportunity to take some of those tests or even to know about those tests, like letting them know so much of it is just communicating that information. And, And Crystal, could you help us with the exact web address for where educators could go to access some of that information? They can go to World Language webpage on NDE. I have all the information listed for COAPA literacy. And so those resources are there. And I know you showed a really fun infographic prior to today's call that you put together recently. So people should look for that at some point in the not too distant future. It's a flow chart. It was really helpful to understand kind of the framing of how one might go about earning this by literacy seal. And Nick? Yeah, I, I just add real quick for all of our educator friends across the state, Who are we talking about? We're talking about those kiddos, yes, in our world language classes, but please also remember our ELL students who are proficient in that other language and are taking classes in your chemistry class, your English class, your science class. Yes, we talk about the seal of biliteracy, and yes, most definitely, uh, it's the world language educators that generally take that lead, but... Uh, It doesn't have to be. And so it's important to get this message out and ensure that those students who are eligible are in the know, that they do uh, have the ability to secure that seal of biliteracy. So to show that I'm learning today, our L1 learners and our ELL learners, along with our heritage language learners. Okay, good. I'm I'm picking up details here. Crystal, uh, go ahead. I, I feel like I cut you off. 
And also counselors, please, please talk with your students because you are the one work one-to-one -one with those students and you know where they are for sure. If you don't talk to those EL students, bring the message to them, there's no way they will make connections by themselves. Oh, really a nice call to action for any and all educators to uh, reach out when and where it makes sense. And I, I love that piece about the counselors because they're going to be the ones that would know that as they're counseling those individuals into their future courses, even if it's in that post-secondary space. And okay, so lastly, and to bring this up to, I'm sure there's going to be people listening in that go, yeah, yeah, that all sounds great, but we don't have a ton of offerings in our building for world language classes. And I think it's important to note that there's a history of providing courses through distance learning work, which my role at the ESUCC is largely in support of. Uh, but in addition to that, that, that work is growing and it's growing through some unique programs. And so Nick, we're grateful to have you on the call here today because the work that you're doing at ESU5 is a stellar example of that. So very briefly, can you share what it looks like to uh, send and receive some distance learning courses? particularly for world languages, for some people that might be listening in going, how do I get this type of experience into our building? Across the state, there's a big shortage of world language educators, not just in our Spanish classrooms, but in our Chinese classrooms as well, or, or other languages. Distance learning is a real opportunity for our rural community schools specifically to provide coursework opportunities that otherwise may not be available to them. Generally speaking, there's a couple different types of distance learning programs. There's the, there are the programs that are completely asynchronous. For example, the University of Nebraska uh, has an online high school that offers coursework that kids can go through independently. But then also there's the courses that offer synchronous connection to teachers. That latter is where our program comes in. Those rural school districts, uh, those, those kids are going in period five or whatever period it is they're going, uh, they, they go into their classroom and they're connected to our teacher through Zoom. It's the next best thing to having a real live person standing right in front of you. You can still see and interact. You can still do a lot of the same instructional practices that you would do in that face-to-face -face classroom. Distance learning is a wonderful way to bridge the gap between your local opportunities and to offer your students the best possible educational opportunities. Yeah, and I had the opportunity in the spring to go and observe some of those courses that you and your program have sent. And it was everything that you said, typical classroom full of students, except the teacher is there remotely. And when we say Zoom, we're talking about kind of a central screen uh, at the front uh, with maybe even a secondary one in support so learners can see their teacher very prominently at the front of the class. And then it wasn't just a sit and get experience. There were games that students were playing. They were up out of their seats, group work, independent work, and kind of the oscillation between those two, you know, and, and everything that you would think a normal class to entail just without that practitioner being physically in the classroom. And so a great opportunity, as you noted, particularly for rural schools who would love to have their students develop this proficiency for their futures and, and potentially earn this Nebraska seal by literacy through accessing those distance learning courses. And a little bit of a plug with this too, there are lottery dollars that 
get allocated to each sending and receiving school. And that number varies, but that's something that is nice in support of those efforts, along with uh, our ESU support of that. So to bring the pod to a close, is there anything that I have not asked Crystal or Nick here that you feel like needs to be a part of this conversation as we wrap things up? I would like to point out that I, in my position, is trying my best to advocate for Nebraska Seal of Literacy. I'm trying to communicate with uh, universities in Nebraska to try to get them acknowledge Seal of Literacy so that students in Nebraska have more opportunities and better chances to navigate through their college career. And also, I'm going to work with local communities and try to advocate seal up literacy as well so that more employers get to know about the seal up literacy so that they know the seal actually means the students can function in real life situations and contexts instead of just taking four years of language and being able to conjugate words. Excellent. I just add real fast that uh, it's that advocacy piece. And so if you're listening, please do have a conversation with your guidance counselor about the seal of biliteracy. Share the information and help us to acknowledge the hard work that our students across the state are doing in those world language classrooms, as well as those ELL students in your buildings. Well, I want to say thank you to the two of you for your time, for your efforts, for your advocacy, and for helping to bring this message through the podcast to educators across the state and, you know, the ripple effects of that towards everything from, as Crystal shared, their higher ed, future employers, and really, most importantly, at that student level where we're going to be able to support our students in reaching those levels of proficiency by allowing the SEAL to be that sort of capstone that drives them to strive for that level of proficiency so they can then carry that recognition on with them. Yeah, it's just all of it. I'm so excited to learn about all of this today, to share this message out. Uh, and so thank you both for your time. Thank you. Thank you.